Lord, your word says in Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us. Make your face shine upon us, that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Yes, Lord, we need your blessing. Without your blessing in our lives, we would live hopeless lives. Lord, we want all nations to know about your salvation, and it starts in our own households. I pray that our households would be believers in you, and I pray that the people in our community would become believers in you. Help us to be salt and light. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Yes, it's so great to come together on a Sunday morning and praise you in worship, both in music and in word. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly. It's awesome to be able to fight for joy. Right now there's so many things that are stealing our joy. And so I pray, God, that we would continue to run to you to, your, to get the source of joy that you are. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God our God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. Yes, you are a just and holy God, and you are loving, and you are mighty. And we should have a righteous fear for you. I pray as we open your word this morning that it would go out, that it would not return void, that you would speak directly to us where we're at in our lives. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys notice we live in a divided world? We're divided about a lot of things, right? We're divided about vaccine, non-vaccine, masks, no masks. We're divided about Florida, Florida State. We're divided about all kinds of things in our world. And so I think it's absolutely vital for Christians, for the church, to engage. That we're a part of the discussion. That we don't withdraw and we don't conform to the world. I think people are attacking people all over the place and social media is probably the worst place for that because there's no face-to-face -face conversation. It's kind of depersonalizes it. So we say things on social media we probably wouldn't say to a person face-to-face. -face. And so you see all these attacks. You see all of these divisions. So what do we do as a church? Well, first, I think we have to remember that we are the image bearers of God. In Genesis chapter 1, right in the beginning of everything, it, it says this, doesn't it? It says that we are the image bearers, that God made us in his image. That the very, the very hope that we have for who we are as, a, as, as people is from God creating us in his image. Verse uh, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and all the creatures that move along the ground. God created a man in his own image, the image of God who created them, male and female, he created them. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, question number 10, it says, how did God create man? And it, it reemphasizes this truth in scripture. God created man male and female after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Now sin has scarred that image, but we are the image bearers. That's where we should start off with if we're talking about loving our neighbors in the divided world that we know God because we're believers in him, because he created us, because we're the image bearers. And so what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to figure out a way that we can love our neighbor in a divided world. So here's the plan. We're going to look first at what Jesus said about loving our neighbors. 
Then uh, we're going to look at what Jesus said about the either-or argument, because right now it seems like you have to take one side or the other. And we're going to look at how Jesus uh, did that and how he attacked those things. And then I really want to equip you. We had a conversation with our elders uh, about a month ago talking about what message do we need to do. And our elders were really unanimous that they wanted our pastors to equip them for the world that we're living in. So that's what I want you to do, do this morning is I want to equip you with some real world examples of things that are happening in our world that are doing the either or argument. And I want to be able to equip you to be able to talk to your neighbor about these things, to be able to do it in a way that honors God. And then we're going to talk about how to practically apply them in ways that speak to what the Bible speaks of. So you ready? Doesn't matter if you're ready, because here we go. We're going to do it anyway. First of all, why should we even love our neighbors? I mean, I live in a vicious HOA community, okay? Um, this is a picture of something that actually happened in our community. If you look really closely, my yellow truck or my yellow SUV is on the grass, okay? It's... Uh, in the front of my driveway on my own grass, but the HOA deed says you cannot park on the grass. I think the reason why they did that is because they didn't want you to park up on the grass right next to the road. But that was my car, and my neighbor calls the HOA on me. <sighs> did I want to love my neighbor in that moment? No, I did not. No, I did not. Loving our neighbors is, is really difficult, but... When a lawyer, when a person of the law was challenging Jesus on what the greatest commandment of the law, this is what Jesus said. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We want to love our neighbor because Jesus told us to love our neighbor. When he, he said, how do we summarize all the law and the prophets? It comes down to this, loving God and loving our neighbor. So we want to get these things right. Now, listen, I'm just going to say right in the beginning, we're going to fail. Okay, We're all sin-scarred. There are going to be times where we can mess up. There are going to be times that we act in anger that we shouldn't. There are going to be times where we don't treat our neighbors the way that we should. But we should run back to the source, run back to Jesus, who tells us to love God and to love our neighbors. And when Jesus said this, he was quoting Scripture. He, the first part of it is a quote from Deuteronomy 6. And the second part of it about loving our neighbors comes from Leviticus 19. Let me read you what he was quoting from. And it kind of sums up what, it, what he meant by loving your neighbor. This is Leviticus 19. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. You should not steal. You should not deal falsely. You should not lie to one another. You should not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You should not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall remain with you uh, all night until the morning. You should not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You should not do injustice in court. You should not be partial to the poor, de defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You should not go around as a slanderer among your people. You should not stand up. 
uh, against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You should not hate your brother in your heart. You shall uh, reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur a sin because of him. You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love the na- your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So when Jesus was saying, love your neighbor, he, he meant a lot of things, summarizing what he said, that you should live generously towards the poor and to the, towards people that are not quite like you. You should not steal uh, from anyone. You should not swear in God's name. You should not oppress, rob, or exploit the poor by paying unfair ra- wages. You should not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind. You should not be partial to the poor, show favor to the great, but judge honestly. You should not commit financial fraud. So we have all of these things that are kind of the guiding principles of loving our neighbor in a divided world. And it's really difficult to do this, and that's why we have to run to Jesus and meet our neighbors where they're at. If we're going to tell them about the hope that's in us, we're going to tell them about Jesus, we have to see their point of view. We have to meet them where they are. And that's what Jesus did. I'm going to give you four examples of where Jesus broke down the fallacy of the either-or argument. And that's actually the point for this morning, that Jesus exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument. He, has, he is a great model for us of how we can have conviction and resolve, but do it in a humble way and do it in a way that uh, wouldn't alienate people. So this is from Mark chapter 12. This is the first example that we see Jesus uh, talking about this either-or argument and him answering it in a way that is truly magnificent. This is Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch Jesus to, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Jesus, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men. You pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? This is, they thought they could trap him with this question. They thought there was no right answer to this, uh, but uh, Jesus always has the right answer. But what Jesus knew their hypocrisies. Why are you trying to trap me? He said, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. When he talks about the portrait that's on the coin, he uses the Greek word ikoni. Everyone say ikoni. Ikoni. And what it means is the image bearer. So he says, whatever bears the image of Caesar, give to Caesar. And whatever bears the image of God, give to God. What bears the image of God? That's right, we do. He says, anything that has Caesar on it, give it to Caesar. That's nothing compared to what bears the image of God, you and I. We're supposed to give to what Caesar is Caesar, but give our lives to God. Give our lives over to God. And this is really interesting. This is probably the first time in, in the history where there's actually a theory of limited government. Up to this time, everyone thought that the leaders were like godlike, that, that you were supposed to bow down to all of the leaders. But Jesus says there's not either or. There's a third way here. There's a third way here. And yeah, you can give to what is Caesar, Caesar's, but give to what is God. That's ourselves over to God. 
He exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument. He does it again in John uh, chapter 8. This is the story of the adulterous woman. You may be familiar with the story. Let me read it. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Don't you always wonder what he wrote? Man, I wish that's a question I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. They kept on questioning him and he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I think that's Jesus dropping the mic right there. He's saying, okay, I got you guys. He makes this statement, then he starts writing in the ground again. At this, those who heard began to go away at the time, first the older ones until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. See, Jesus didn't condemn the woman, but he didn't condone her sin either. It was either or. He said, listen, everyone that's around you has sin. You're not condemned. But also go and live. Leave your life that's full of sin. He breaks down the fallacy of the either or. And gives a better way. All right, Jesus with the Samaritan woman. We see this again too in John 4 where Jesus does this. I'm not going to read the entire uh, story, but just some of the highlights. So Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman while she's getting uh, water at the well. And this was already counterculture that no Jew would be talking to a Samaritan woman. uh, But here he is talking to her. And he says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whatever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place uh, where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Then you jump up to, to verse 28 after the rest of the interaction that they have here, and you see her response. Then leaving her jar of water, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. If this was Jesus living in either our way, he would have had to make a determination whether it's wrong or not to talk to the Samaritan woman. And the time and the culture would have said, no, it's wrong. You shouldn't talk to the Samaritan woman. But he says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to her. But I'm not just going to talk to her. I'm going to help lead her out of her sin, point out, or point out her sin, and point out her need for Jesus. Jesus breaks down, exposes the fallacy of an either-or argument. One more example, and there's many other examples. This is certainly not an exhaustive list. This is in Mark chapter 3 about the Sabbath. 
Another time he went to the synagogue and a man in a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he could heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out to begin the plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. If he was doing the either-or argument, it would have been like, it's the Sabbath. We can't do any type of healing. But he saw someone that was in need, and he said, is, is, is it such an important uh, statement? Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? He exposes the fallacy of either-or argument, and he sees a way to speak truth in love. And I think that's what we're called to do, to love our neighbor in the divided world. It's not just to cower away from any discussion that we might have. It's not just to conform to anything that we hear for the sake of love. We're supposed to speak truth and love. And this is a really difficult thing uh, for us to do as believers. It's just so hard to do it with so many things swirling around in our world. And so I want to apply these principles that we see from Jesus to our real world with real world examples. I know maybe even some of you, but I certainly have heard this in our world, is why don't Christians just stay out of political things? Now, I would say if, if politics would stay out of Christian faith, then we would. I think we can't because the Christian faith speaks to the whole life. This is an opportunity with things that maybe seem political for us to speak to the gospel redeeming these things. If we stay silent, if we stay out of the political arena, well, who's going to be the ones that run everything? There are going to be people that are not believers. There are going to be people that are not close to God. People that don't recognize that they're the image bearers of God. So we're going to talk about a few things this morning that are happening in our world. And I think it's absolutely vital that we know how to respond and choose the way that Jesus does with responding in a way that might be a little bit different. So I have a few statements uh, that are going to show the and of things, getting rid of the either or and showing the and. The first one has to do with our world of coronavirus. I believe that as believers, we can recognize that there is a danger with the virus. There obviously is a danger with the virus. We've taken many precautions here at the church. We're obviously doing our services online. We have our rows separated to have some, some distance. We were closed for a period of weeks uh, to make sure that uh, we understood what was going on in the world. So we can recognize there's a danger with the virus, and that danger um, is significant. And... We also cannot live in complete fear. I believe that we can do both of those things as believers in Christ. The term fear not is in the Bible 365 times. I think that's awesome. One for every day of the year. In Isaiah 41 it says, fear not for I am with you. In Joshua 1.9 it says, do not be afraid for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In 2 Timothy 1 it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and a sound mind. I believe that there's a real danger in our world, and that danger is spiritual. 
that if we don't uh, follow after Jesus, then we are going to face eternal death. But let's talk a little bit about the danger of the virus. Florida has had, uh, just looked this up um, just, uh, just uh, two days ago. It says Florida has had about 7,700 people die uh, from the virus. Not necessarily from it, but it says that they had at least had it. So as a statistic in Florida, that's 34 people out of 100,000. 34 out of 100,000. That means that our death rate is 0.0003. So 99.9997% of people will not die from this virus. Now, I think that it's important to, to note that people you know may have had the virus or may have passed away, and any death is tragic, but we need to know what we're actually fearing. In Florida, 207,000 people die every year on average. 47,000 die from heart disease, 45,000 die from cancer, 14,000 die from stroke, 7,000 from Alzheimer's, 6,000 from diabetes, 13, over 13,000 die from car accidents. So if we're taking this attitude of we just need to avoid everything that may be dangerous, then we should never drive our cars ever again. Listen, we're going to continue streaming our services online because we want people that are vulnerable or people that don't feel comfortable to be able to join us online. But I think it is important, and I think it's, a, it's worth examining, seeing what fear does. Because if you're going to uh, shop, if you're going shopping, you're going out to eat, you're going to kids' ball games, you're uh, going to the gym, you're hanging out with other people, but then you're saying church is too dangerous to come to, I really think that you need to bring that to the Lord in prayer. Because there's severe danger uh, with fear against community because all through scripture we see that we're called into community. I think it's vitally important that we have community and we're so glad that we have the technology to be able to meet online but when you're not meeting in person in worship and in small group there is great danger. There's going to be there on average 3,200 people in Florida die from suicide and this year it's going to be drastically more. I've gone on three, three suicide calls recently. Thankfully, none of them have been successful. I've had more counseling and marriage counseling for anxiety and depression than I've ever had in 18 years of ministry. And it's not even close. There's an unbelievable amount of danger of not meeting together because we're so fearful. Listen, we should take precautions as believers. We shouldn't be stupid. But at the same time, we cannot run away from community. And I believe this is also an amazing opportunity where people are talking about illness and death more than ever, that we point people to Jesus. Because if COVID doesn't kill you, something else will. We're not getting out of this life alive. We need to have Jesus, and we need to point others to Jesus. It's so vital. It's so vital. So listen, if you're watching online right now and you're in a vulnerable position, we're so glad that you're online. If you're doing all kinds of other things, being around all kinds of other people, come back to church because we believe there's value in community. And when you don't have that community of in-person brothers and sisters worshiping Jesus together, there's also great danger in that. So we can recognize that there's danger with the virus and not live in complete fear. All right, second statement of things that are going on in our world. 
uh, we can, as believers in Jesus, support police because the vast majority of them are selflessly doing their job, and we can speak out loudly against the ones that aren't. I think it's really clear in Scripture that really the only thing that government should be doing is protecting us, protecting us from good and evil. This is what it says in Romans chapter uh, 13, verses 3 through 5. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the one that's in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. I believe as believers that we should support our law enforcement and we should support our military. We believe that in Scripture that's what God calls government to do. At the same time, we should also be the loudest voices when we see injustices happening. And I believe we can do both. There's so many conversations happening right now that if you support police that you're a racist or something like that. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that you can support police, you can support military, and speak out against atrocities that happen. Both of those things can exist, and I believe as Christians we're called to do that. All right, next statement. I know these are kind of rapid fire, but I know I have a short amount of time, and there are lots of things happening in our world. I want to be able to speak to some of it um, at least a, a bit about what Scripture says. Next statement. We can stand up against racism by breaking racial barriers and stand completely against non-Christian organizations like Black Lives Matter, Inc. Now, this is, I want to be really clear with this, that the term Black Lives Matter and the organization, Black Lives Matter, Inc., the terms are congruent. So it gets a little confusing. Everybody that's a believer in Jesus should believe that Black Lives Matter. Amen? Amen. Everyone should believe that. that. I don't know of anybody that is in our church that I'm around that doesn't believe that Black Lives Matter. We absolutely should believe that. But we need to stand against organizations like Black Lives Matter, Inc., and I'll tell you why that is in a minute. First, the first part of it about breaking down racial barriers. I think our heavenly, multi-ethnic reality of what we're going to see for all eternity with all different uh, tribes of people, with all different looks, that's what we should embrace here on earth. When John got a peek of what heaven looked like, this is what he said. He said, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. He didn't see this homogeneous vision of everyone that looked the same. He saw from all different tribes and cultures. And we embrace that here at Good News. We want to have a diverse congregation. We live in a community that's 97% white, so it's not a real diverse community that we live in. But we love diversity here because we believe that that's what heaven is going to look like. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, it says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see the kingdom of God come down. And so we want to break down any racial barriers that there are. We should be the loudest voices in our community, in our world, to break down those racial barriers. 
the Bible calls God's people to have justice and mercy and humility. And anytime there's any type of injustice in our world, especially based on the color of a person's skin, we should be unbelievably loud to do everything that we can to transform our community and our city into to have racial unity because we are all the image bearers of God. You notice when I, when I read that in the beginning about in Genesis 1, it didn't say anything about skin color. We're all created as the image bearers of God, and so we should be the loudest voices about that. And I think with some of the passion and the zeal that we've had about speaking out against some racism in our world, against breaking down, against for breaking down racial barriers, I think some believers have gotten confused a little bit with the BLM Inc. movement. This is straight from the Black Lives Matter uh, Inc. website. And I want you to see if this lines up with what you know about Scripture. First it says we, and you can go to the website and see what they believe yourself if you don't believe me. It says we foster a queer affirming network. We know that the police don't keep us safe. That's why we're calling to defund the police. And I think the biggest statement here is one of the last ones. It says we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Everything that we do here at Good News is trying to get, keep families together in the name of Jesus. And when I see Christians that are vigorously supporting an organization that is tearing down the foundation of the things that we're trying to build on biblical principles, as a shepherd of God's people, I have to let you know that. We should run from BLM, Inc. I mean, listen to what Be the Bridge is. Be the Bridge is an organization, and, and listen, no organization is perfect. So if, as I'm talking about this organization, Be the Bridge, I'm sure there's issues in their organization too. But listen to their mission statement as compared to BLM Inc. Their mission statement is complete racial unity and justice cannot happen apart from the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit to move individuals to make peace with God and all humankind. Vastly different, right? So if you feel led to support an organization, support them. I think ultimately you should just support the church because the church should be the, the primary means by which these racial barriers are broken down. This uh, past week, uh, Orlando Magic player Jonathan Isaac uh, stood up for the national anthem. Uh, I think it's an interesting place we have landed in our world where you have to defend yourself for standing up for the national anthem. But uh, he did. And I want you to hear this clip. This is a three-minute clip, and he has a mask on, so it's a little hard to, to understand. But if you concentrate really carefully, I want you to hear the words he says about breaking down racial barriers. Here's Jonathan Isaac. You didn't kneel during the anthem, but you also didn't wear a Black Lives Matter shirt. Uh, do you believe that Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. I believe that Black Lives Matter. Um, a, lot, a lot went into my decision, and a part of it is, first off, um, is, is, is my thought that you know kneeling or wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt um, don't go hand in hand with supporting Black Lives. And so um, I felt like just me personally, um, what it is that I believe in standing on a stance that um, I do believe that Black Lives Matter, but I, I just felt like it was a decision that I had to make and, and I, I didn't um, you know, feel like putting, putting that shirt on and, and kneeling uh, went hand in hand with um, supporting Black Lives or that it, it made me support Black Lives or not. I believe that 
um, for myself. My, my, my life has been supported um, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and that everyone is made in the image of God and that we all fall short of God's glory. And that uh, you know each and every one of us, each and every day do things that we shouldn't do. We say things that we shouldn't say. Um, we hate and we, we dislike people that we shouldn't hate and dislike. Um, and, and sometimes it gets into a point where we point fingers about whose evil is worse. And, and sometimes that comes down to simply whose evil is, is most visible. So um, I felt like I wanted to just take a stand on. I feel like we all make mistakes, but I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there's grace for us and that Jesus came and died for our sins. And that if we all will come to an understanding of that and understand that God wants to have a relationship with us, um, that we can get past skin color, we can get past all the things in our world that are messed up, jacked up. Um, I think when you look around, Racism isn't the only thing that, that, that plagues our society, that plagues our nation, that plagues our world. And I feel like, you know, coming together on that message that we want to get past not only racism, but everything that that, 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 that plagues this other society. I feel like the answer to it is, is the gospel. Hey, answer that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, am I able to follow up with a quick one? Yes, please do. Go ahead. Okay, um, so Jonathan, I, I'm asking this with all sincerity. I just want to really understand your reasoning for that. Can you just explain further what you feel like religion has to do with kneeling for the anthem to protest against racism and police brutality? The correlation between those two? Well, I mean, honest, honestly, I don't, I don't really see it as religion for myself. Um, I see it as a relationship with, with God. Um, um, through, through the Son who died for our sins, I feel like not only, I, I, don't, I don't think that you know, kneeling or um, putting on a t-shirt for me personally is the answer. I feel like um, for me, black lives are supported through the gospel. All lives are supported through the gospel that we all, like I said, have things that that, that, that we do wrong. And um, sometimes it gets into a place of pointing fingers about which wrong is worse you know, and who's wrong is seen. So I feel like the Bible tells us that we're all, we all fall short of the glory of the, we all fall short of God's glory, and that at the end of the day, you know, whoever will humble themselves and, and seek God and repent of their sins, that, that that we could see it in a different light, see our mistakes, see people's mistakes in a different light, or see people's evil in a different light, and that it would help bring us closer together and get past skin color, and get past anything that you know that's on the surface and doesn't really deal with the hearts of men and women. So we should stand against racism. We should do everything we can to break down barriers. But when we do that, let's make sure we're supporting things that also support the gospel. With him standing for the flag, I thought it would be good for just to take a minute about this. Can we believe that there are things that are wrong in our country and still show love and respect for our country? Can we do those things as believers? Well, I believe that scripture is very clear that we're dual citizens. That we're citizens of heaven, but we're also citizens of earth and the country that we're in. And when we start looking at our country, yes, there are lots of issues. Yes, there are certainly things that our country does that doesn't honor God. But 75% of the world has religious restrictions. 
Uh, at least as of now, we don't. We have amazing freedoms. And one of my pastor friends and I agree that we should be really thankful that we have a, a Bill of Rights, that we have the freedom of speech, that I can get up here and I can preach and we can post it online. I'm so thankful for that, that we have the freedom of the press, that we have the freedom to assembly, although some of the people in our world that are micro tyrants want to take away uh, the ability to be able to assemble. But I'm so glad that we're assembling here uh, together as believers in Christ. We have the right to bear arms. We have the right to due process. We have the right to jury trial. We have the right uh, to be free from quartering soldiers. I like that one. You know, if things were written uh, today, they, they might look a little bit different. We might start the Bill of Rights with the right to have free Wi-Fi or something like that. But I'm so thankful that uh, when they wrote the Bill of Rights, they put in Amendment 9. It says, The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others, uh, other people's rights retained by the people. That's a lot of language basically to say, I can do whatever I want with whoever, whenever, as long as it doesn't take other people's rights away. And so I think that we should absolutely be patriotic because we're a citizen of this country and we have lots of rights that lots of other countries don't have. We should be thankful that we live in a country that has those rights. Also, we should recognize that there are issues and we should do everything that we can to stand up against those issues because we're also a citizen of heaven. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, it lays out exactly who we are as a citizen of heaven. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we should be involved in the things that are happening in our world. And it's okay to, to be patriotic for our country and point out that there are things that are wrong. And we should, we should be involved, especially in this uh, election year. The research done by the Providence Forum a few years ago said that 50% of Christians are registered to vote. Only 50%. Are registered to vote. And out of those that are registered to vote, only 25% of them vote. We need to get involved. Now, I have to tell you, do either one of these guys look like the Savior? Do they? Do, I'm getting worried that you're not answering. Do they, do they? Okay, good. They don't. They're not the Savior. Neither one of them are the Savior. But we're called as Christians to be involved in the process that are happening in our country because the freedoms that we have in our country we should not take for granted. Okay, those are the kind of things that are happening right now in our world. But I want to talk just real quickly about a few other general things that I think come up that I think are vitally important. This is the final two statements. We can be pro-life and be loving to those who have had abortions or are considering having abortions. In our state, the last time that the full stats were given out was 2018. And 70,083 out of 327,223 pregnancies um, were aborted. That's 21% of all pregnancies. We should be heartbroken by that. Psalm 139 says, For you formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately wo woven in the secrets of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, 
the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of them were. Wow. God knows us before we're even created. But what I've seen people do is take the zeal for, for life and devalue people so much to the point that they alienate them from the gospel. So I believe at this point, the way that we love our neighbor and divide the world is to pray like crazy. We pray for those that are making the decisions on what their unborn children are going to do. We pray for those that perform abortions, that, that they would see the light and joy of Christ and that they would stop their ways. We pray for the American family that's under attack more than ever. We pray for all the post-abortive parents where the vast majority have great guilt and regret from what they've done. We pray for all of them that they would have mercy and forgiveness and that we should get involved in crisis pregnancy centers. We should consider adopting uh, if God leads us to do those things, that we can do both. We could stand up for life and also have compassion and action for those that desperately need it. And finally, uh, this statement um, is not up on the screen, but I want to read it to you. It says, we can believe that the biblical definition of marriage is between one man and one woman for life and still show love and respect to our neighbors who fall outside that definition. From people that are living together to having sex outside of marriage to homosexuality, Scripture shows that those are sins. But they're not the only sin and that there's hope in the gospel. I think so Often, the Christian church has gotten this wrong because we've tried to isolate these sexual sins. And we forgot that we ourselves are wretched people and we desperately need the gospel too. And so when we have people in our lives that fit in definitions that are outside the biblical definition, we need to have grace and mercy and love because all of us have experienced the bad news. The bad news of the gospel is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans, the first part of Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Each and every one of us has sinned. Each and every one of us has gone against God. That's the bad news. The good news, though, is the full verse of Romans 6.23. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That is of first importance. We need to understand that. We need to get that. We need to believe that. That's what our part is. Our part is to admit that we're sinners, to believe in the gospel, and commit our lives to Christ. The only way that we're going to love our neighbor and divide the world, the only way that we're going to speak truth and love is by putting our faith in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you done that? Those of you that are home, that are here in person, if you haven't done that, admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and see, commit your life to him. If you've never done that before, uh, you can do that right in your seats wherever you are. Trust in Jesus, the most important decision that you can make. And then once you do that, follow the model of Jesus as he breaks down the fallacy of the either-or argument, you follow Jesus. That's the action step. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what, which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Jesus calls us to the ministry of reconciliation. He calls us to, to help people come closer to Jesus. 
That doesn't mean that, that we're weak and we conform to the world. It doesn't mean that we look for opportunities to divide the world. It means that we speak the truth in love, that we reconcile the world uh, for, against sin, against pain, against suffering. And the way that we express these things in this either-or argument is absolutely vital. It's absolutely important that we need to express our convictions in a way that honor Christ. In closing here, I just want to give you the few ways that we can do this, that we can apply these principles, that we get, and we're getting involved in these discussions of things that are happening in our world. How can we love our neighbor well? Well, we should have convictions, but we need to express them in a way that honor Christ. It has broken my heart to see members of the church on social media calling people awful names. We need to be better than that. And listen, we're sinful people. We're going to fall short. But don't try to win the argument to lose the person. It's more important that people come to know Jesus than to win a political argument. So we need to speak the truth in love. The only way that we can do that is by loving Jesus. We need to speak with conviction and resolve. There is right and there is wrong. But we can express that in a way that would honor Jesus. I love what um, it says in Micah 6, 8. It says, he has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's difficult to do all three of those simultaneously. Some people are more on the justice side. Some more people are more on the mercy side. Some are more on the humble side. But with Jesus, we can do all. When you find yourselves in discussion about things that are happening in our world, we need to seek wisdom uh, in all things. James 1, 5 says this. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will, it will be given to him. When I read this scripture, I'm like, why am I not asking for this every day? I need to ask God all the time for wisdom. I need wisdom. He says he'll give it generously. And so as we're engaging in the world with really difficult issues, pray that God would give you wisdom as you try to love your neighbor in a divided world. James has, James has another principle that I think is really good for us too. Dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. When we're trying to love our neighbor in a divided world, that we should be slow to speak. That we should listen to what their perspective is. We should listen to where they're coming from. When people ask me questions like, Andy, what do you think about homosexuality? What I try to do is just ask them a question back. Well, why are you asking that question? Because for them, it may not be a general question. It might be something that's deeply personal, and I will answer it in a different way, uh, knowing some of the details and some of the things that are happening in their life. And so one of the ways to be quick to listen is to answer a question with a question. That's what Jesus did, right? He answered the question with a question to understand where people were coming from more. And I think finally, we need to follow Jesus and what his word says. The word of God is the standard. Listen, our opinions don't matter anything compared to what God's word says. If we're standing on our opinions and they're outside of God's word, then we're standing on nothing. When we stand on our opinions that are founded in the word of God, then we're standing on a firm foundation. 52 countries in the world have bans the Bible, made it illegal or severely restricted. Listen, Marxists and communists and evil dictators, they know the power of God's word. Why do you think they would restrict it? Why do you think they would make it illegal? 
They know the power that God's word has, and they don't want people to have access to that power. But thankfully, we live in a country where we have the freedoms to have the word of God. And so the ministry of reconciliation, as we're trying to love our neighbor in a divided world, has to be based on what scripture says. Listen, to love our neighbor in, in a divided world, it's really difficult to do. To work through all of these issues that seem to be happening simultaneously in our world and to do it with love and truth is really difficult to do. But we can do it. You can do it. You know why you can do it? You know why I can do it? Not by our own strength, but because we're the image bearers of God. So let's do it. Let's speak the truth in love. Let's love our neighbors in a divided world. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we have truth in your word. I thank you that we can love others in a divided world. I thank you, God, that we could speak up for truth, that we don't have to conform. But when we do speak, I pray, God, that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy, that you would help us to do it in a way that honors you. Lord, we know it's very clear, it's very clear in Scripture that even if we do things in the most humble way, we do things in the most loving way, your word says that the world is going to hate us. So we shouldn't be surprised when people are upset, even when we speak truth in love. But help us to stand up for you. Help us to have courage to do that. And help us to love our neighbors that desperately need you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone, please stand.